Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aero Marine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to this edition of my Winning Pitch podcast. Uh, I've created this podcast for you to get stories of success. There's certain people's stories of how they overcame some hardship in their lives, how they became successful in what they're doing. My intent for you and the audience is to always find a way to motivate you to have more, do more, and be more. And I did the Vedic hymns of be, do, have exactly backwards because that's the way you do things. Be, you think the beingness, you do, you put it into action, and then you can have what you want. So anyway, I'm introducing to you my friend, Mark Haiti. He has a great story to tell you. He's a very successful guy in the local area of Sacramento. And Mark, introduce yourself. Tell people what you're doing, what you're doing now, and how you got here. You betcha. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Tom. And what you're doing, I believe, is needed. Sharing the stories of winning is something that uh, it feels like we don't hear enough of today. You turn on the TV and so much negativity out there. Let's talk about how to win. It's so much more uh, inspiring. So I hope not to let you down today. Glad to share my story. I have something today called Haney Biz. We are backing the hometown entrepreneur with capital expertise and building a community. So like yourself, I'm doing uh, a little bit of media stuff and have a podcast radio show on uh, Money 105.5 here locally. I had a book come out recently uh, that kind of shared the story of Sacramento entrepreneurship told through my son's eyes. My son was wounded in Afghanistan, Purple Heart recipient. He's helped me with this, uh, this media effort. And so he was able to sort of share lessons learned through, uh, through the eyes coming back as a veteran. Um, so that's what I'm doing today. And it's having a ton of fun. And, and one of the things that I'm probably as excited about as, as anything is that I'm now have become sort of an investor after selling my companies about 10 years ago, not really understanding for sure what I want to do with my life. I, I started the podcast and radio show and ended up getting the opportunity to invest into some early stage companies. And some of those companies have done pretty well. I'm now invested into over 40 companies here in Sacramento and looking to have uh, a whole bunch more in our portfolio. And so I can share more about that as we go, because I think that this, it's an interesting perspective that you, we're not seeing a lot as this sort of hyper-local attitude toward helping, uh, helping our community and really a hyper-local attitude toward investing. So I can share more about that. But, but really, I grew up here in Sacramento. And so that's really my passion is after selling the companies, it's like, well, what do I want to do? What do I care about? I care about my, my family, of course been married 35 years to the same beautiful woman, two children, three grandchildren, all growing up here locally. So I care about my family. I care about my friends that I grew up with. And I care about this hometown. And so I, I'm hoping that some of the things I'm working on contribute to all three of those areas of my life. So you said several times about selling your company. What 
is what was the company? What was the business that you were in that you sold? You bet. Uh, so I was, I started off in video stores. So if you can remember that, so that's, uh, you know, you can imagine. <laughs> I'm older than you are, so I can remember everything that you. Yes. Remember. So part of your podcast I know is overcoming hardship. So anybody who, uh, was sort of stuck in the video store industry. There were good times and there were not so good times. So I, I dealt with that. We ended up pivoting into uh, security uh, sort of randomly uh, by accident in a, in a huge mistake um, and got into the security business. Ended up being physical security, mainly on the video side. So before video security was um, ubiquitous, right? Now there's security cameras everywhere. We got in in an, at a time when it was sort of emerging, and we became the uh, largest independent uh, video security distributor in the country. We ended up merging with the largest independent security company that did sort of general general line hardware, and ended up getting bought by a private equity group. That group ultimately uh, became the largest security distribution company in the world, uh, Annexter, a public company. That was sort of the the story. So, how did you get in the video business originally? Okay, so my dad. Please define which video business you were in, because so video rentals. So video rental stores. My mom and dad had a TV shop when I was a kid. The three brothers bought out the TV shop as it was becoming a video store. You know, kind of dealing with uh, it was facing the challenges of big box retailing, putting putting the small business TV appliance shop out of you know out of business. And so we sort of pivoted then to the video stores and the three brothers bought the company from my mom and dad, ended up growing it to 12 video stores. And then ultimately in the local area here in Sacramento. Yes. It was called Placer TV. Uh, We had 12 stores and pretty successful. We were ended up being number one in the Sacramento area at one point. Then ultimately Blockbuster and Hollywood came in and opened up next to each of our stores put a big damper on the business, but ultimately it was cable and streaming that uh, became the death of the video store. So before that happened, while we, you know, we were profitable up until the day we closed every single store, which we're proud of, we ended up pivoting to back to video hardware, if you will, not TVs, not consumer brands, but more of industrial video supply. And that business ended up turning into security cameras. So from really video rentals and consumer to industrial video dealing with the government and uh, a lot of commercial stuff. And then ended up finding a niche in security cameras. And we ran with that niche. What was the most significant lesson you learned during that video trip that you took forward with you in your, your, what has now become your current ventures? Interesting. Um, so the one lesson that comes to mind, I can think of two. I'll start with one. We had loaned a guy some money. We ended up buying out my older brother. My, the two younger brothers bought out the older brother. So then it was just he and I, I'm the middle child. So my younger brother and I ended up getting ourselves into heavy debt, right? So we had uh, leveraged our, ourselves pretty hard in, the, in opening up all these video stores. And then we leveraged more as we uh, began to buy out. You know, obviously uh, my older brother needed to get some compensation. We needed more leveraging, but we still had some room on our, our line of credit. And we, we had a little, uh, I'll call it get rich quick. We're going to loan a guy some money and he could, he ended up not being able to pay us back. We loaned him 
like $567,000. He was in a lawsuit, going to pay us back in 30 days. And it was sort of a, uh, you know, we're going to double our money and then some. And anyway, he filed bankruptcy. Out of bankruptcy, we end up with this company, Northern Video Systems. And that company, as you might imagine, because the previous owner, you know, getting it out of bankruptcy, it it gets put on credit hold. So here you have these uh, 20-something-year-old kids video store background. And now uh, we're sort of not knowing what to do. So we take the company. And I guess the lesson that I would say is uh, no matter how stupid of a decision you make, right? We made the most idiotic decision that you can imagine, totally leveraging our already over leveraged company and loaning it more, uh, leveraging it more and ended up with this thing that was not profitable. It was probably break even this video hardware company. Somehow we figured out a way to sell our way out of it. We didn't quit. I think the lesson I learned is there's no problem more sales won't fix. And really that was the secret. We just basically said, we're not quitting. We're going to sell our way out of it. So we hired people in the face of this, had 120 employees at the video stores. So we were loaded up with, I'll call it video store level uh, employees. And so we had a little bit, we had done telemarketing in our video stores to try to attract, uh, you know, new clientele for new release movies. And so we took that and we got on the phones, banged the phones, dialing for dollars for security and for government sales and so on. And really that pivot or that decision to just, we are going to sell, sell, sell and do it with, uh, I would say more entry level people versus the, uh, the high price free agent sales force that you might think about acquiring. Um, instead, we're going to do it with our buddies we went to high school with, my video store people, just friends who knew nothing about it other than we knew we could all sell. Maybe a little bit like the 10X rule, right? It's like you just got to. I was, I was just getting ready to interject something. Yeah. Grant Cardone, Cardone would be so proud of you because he often says the only line that matters on your financial statement is the top line gross income. Yes. He spends 95% of his time thinking and being in action relative to sales and 5% of his time looking at the expenses. And I recently got, I'm involved with one of Grant's partners, a guy named Brandon Dawson, who is accumulating, putting together all these smaller companies, smaller than him, because he's sold his last company for, I think, $153 million. And he had a $500,000 investment. So he'd be, he, that, that's what he profited on top of that, the sale after all the expenses. And uh, he has a slightly different point of view, but we're going to put all these companies together and put them into probably what will be a $10 billion company and sell them to the Blackstones and the guys who have more money than God, if that's possible. And, and it's a great strategy. But anyway, back to the 10X rule. I think what you did is great. Sell your way out of it. When I was coaching baseball, the, my favorite story was when you find yourself at the bottom of a hole, stop digging. But <laughs> the way I can tell you this, and I've been in several different businesses. I've been in the race car business. Uh, I've been in the multi-level marketing. And sales is everything, everything. And the highest paid people on the planet are all salesmen business owners, salesmen, guys who, I mean, well, you and I, if we own our own business and sales are down, it's all on us. You just, you start playing dialing for dollars. I mean, that 
is how it's all solved. And that's why the, the Cardone University stuff is so successful because it teaches anybody in an interactive way how to handle sales and how to recognize that most of what we see as objections out of people that we're talking to aren't objections. They're just complaints. You acknowledge them and continue selling. And, you know, and it's, I've been real, real happy with the lessons that I've got out of 10X and seller be sold. And if you're not first or you're last, but anyway, people are more interested in your story than mine. So you told me that there were two lessons and then you told me one of the ones that you sold your way out of it. What was the other one? Yeah. So yeah, there's no, no problem more sales won't fix. And I agree with you hundred percent on the Grant Cardone. I've read and uh, listened to all the audio books over and over. And as I hear it, it speaks to me. So I can really relate to that. The other lesson that I think is as important in a different way is we have to put the right people in our life to make us feel a little bit less afraid. The way I say that is that maybe not everybody is, is built like me, but a, but a lot of entrepreneurs, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs as you do, and most of them have uh, doubts at times and uh, maybe stress and so on. I call it fear, but whatever you want to call it, if we put people in our lives that give us confidence to uh, pick up the phone and make another call, to uh, leverage the company, to take action, because there's so many times when we don't take ap- action, we, it's uh, you know, a lot of procrastination and maybe overanalysis and all these things that happen. And I think if we put people in our lives that bring out the best in us, the action-taking part of us, to me, that's a huge decision. And I think most people sort of, uh, they acquire their business partners or they acquire their, uh, their employees, they acquire their, their inner circle, almost uh, they let it happen to them. And so I believe that we should decide what kind of people we want on our team, especially what I'll call the inner circle. But that word might be a turnoff to some people, but those people that you spend the most time with should be handpicked and with intention. And so to me, my brother and I did that. My brother and I were a year apart and we are like one. So he was the first key decision. And so I think those first few people that you put in your inner circle, these are the people that are the foundation for the rest of the team. Nobody's going to get in a car with uh, a bunch of uh, mediocre, partially committed people. They want to get into a car with people who are kicking ass, committed to winning. And if you can get a few of those at the beginning, you have the makings for something that uh, is more scalable than sort of that, like, well, I put some people in, they kind of just came along, they work cheap. And those things might be important. But if you can figure out a way to be more intentional about who you put in your life, that is a huge decision. I will take what you just said one step farther. I don't want people around me who are telling me I work too hard or ask me when I'm going to retire. I'll never retire. Why? Because I connected my survival in this body, in this lifetime with working. And because working gives me a reason to get up in the morning. My story behind that is that my grandfather was 65 years old and got mandatorily retired by, he worked for Spreckles Sugar, I think. And in two years, he was almost dead. I mean, it was just his body started falling apart and he was getting sick. And he decided to go back to work. So he went back to his employer and he said, look, I want to you know, help you with the projects. 
and uh, they sent him all over the world and he lived until almost 90 and he lived longer because of working because it gave him a reason it, it was part of his why and you know i don't want people around me who aren't say well why'd you come home i want my wife to say did you make any money today and if you didn't go back to work that's the kind of people i like around me i don't want people who are telling me to i want you to spend more time with me yeah well you like the lifestyle we need money so yeah. you know and I'm really fortunate. My wife works with me. In fact, I hired her before I married her and found out she found out she really worked her butt off and really had a real high work ethic. And that was probably one of the things that attracted me to the most to her. But, you know, it's the people around you, as you said, are so have so much effect on you. They're all like viruses if they're giving you negative stuff or telling you not to do something. And I have found that when people start digging at people for being successful, it's because they've quit on what their goals were. Or they're jealous and they don't want, if this is where they're at, okay, they don't want you to move away from them by being successful. And the simplest way to do that on planet Earth is to, you know, gradually pick at them. And, you know, and it happens all of the time. And like you said earlier, there's so much negative news on television and with all they're always doing is puking and vomiting drama, bad news. I mean, if it wasn't for the fires or the lockdown or this virus or whatever it was before that, and what, once you get about three crises back, I don't remember anymore because they're not, they're not that close to me anyhow. So I do the things that try to keep that stuff away from me. And if there's one thing I can tell anybody is if you're hanging out with people that don't make you feel good about yourself and don't support everything that you do, cut them out of your life. Your your life will go a lot better. Stop watching television. Stop listening to all that crap. Don't pick up your phone and and use Instagram and Twitter because most of that stuff is bad news. Now, I use the hell out of social media. I probably do 100,000 posts a month, but I don't do them. I have people do them for me, but I'm not a consumer. I'm a user of social media. I'm not a consumer of social media because most of it's bad news. It's like I'm in the aviation tax business for people who don't know me. And I look in my Twitter feeds and there's plane wrecks and people complaining and bombs. I never, never repost that. When I repost it, I only repost good news and job postings. Those are, those are, those are great things. And you know, it's, it's, you, you got to, be very wary of what's in your space because it really does affect you. And I'm, I'm thank you for bringing that up. And I, again, I'm stealing your time. So it's, no, I want you no, to uh, I'm, uh, I'm saying here, here, I agree. I made the decision, you know, COVID is a lot of, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this at, the, at a time when the world is whatever it'll turned upside down in many ways um, where COVID is uh, caused a, a lot of us to sort of, uh, I guess, recalibrate, reassess. And I decided about three months ago, I was not going to turn on the news. I had this habit of come home at the end of the day. First thing I would do is turn on the news. And it ended up becoming so negative, whether we start with, uh, you know, COVID and then George Floyd. It's the fires now here in Northern California. It's like, look, and it's so negative. It put me in a... Uh, it sort of put me in a bad mood. And I'm like, this is not healthy stuff to put into my, uh, into my body. So as I reassess, I'm not doing that. 
But the other thing too that I would, uh, there's time, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention that people ask me sometimes, as I say, uh, that my lesson is around how do you put the right, how do you attract the right business partners, right? How do you put the right people in your life? People want to know how. There's all kinds of stuff on how to sell a lot of stuff, how to sell your way out. Grant Cardone, huge fan of his. There's no question that there's a lot of things in his book about that. But in terms of like, how do you actually find people like your wife, right? And maybe there's a story uh, there that would be interesting for your audience, but um, you hired her first. But to me, it's interesting because I've tried to like decide for myself, how do you do that intent with intention? How do you get those people? And so I've narrowed it down to three things. And one of them you mentioned in a way, and you talked about why, right? Or our purpose. And I think if we amplify our why, right? If we're able to really understand why we do what matters to us and why, and we're able to vocalize that, and we do a good enough job in listening to uh, the other people in our lives, we will find those commonalities, those shared whys. And they may not all align, but there is, when you, if you can align hard enough on a why, I call it amplifying the why, but aligning on a why, that's number one. That, that's, a, uh, that's a huge thing. The other thing that I think, uh, you know, Grant talks about passion and, you know, passion isn't part-time. So one of the things that's most attractive to me in others as an investor, and I think it is attractive. I think my wife was attracted to this too. So your wife may be too. People are attracted to people who are attacking their passion. Oh, I love baseball. I love sports. I love saving the environment. Well, if we, that's fine to say it, but when you are attacking and it's obvious that you are in attack mode, people are attracted to that. I mean, the people that you want to a- attract to a cause, they're, attra- they're attracted to people who take action, who are attacking. So that's number two is, and not in that order necessarily, but amplify the why, attack the passion. It's a great way to get a business partner, uh, employee. And I think the third thing is, People want to see sound decision-making about how you're committing your resources. Your biggest decision, Tom, I would argue, Grant's biggest decision, my biggest decision as a CEO, is how we commit our resources, our, uh, our capital, our employee t- employees' time, our personal time. How we commit that stuff, to me, is huge, and the right people are going to jump in there to fill in the gaps for us, maybe where we suck or where, uh, you know, where we have weaknesses, those people will end up jumping in and filling in those gaps, but they want to see how we are allocating our resources, how we are committing those resources so they can um, have an idea of where they may fit on our team. Absolutely. We do a thing where we give a thing called an R3 assessment, which is a product of the Cardone Ventures, which is Brandon Dawson and Natalie Workman. And uh, I was just shocked because it kind of categorizes people for you. And it's so spot on. It just, it, it, it's amazing. But it, it, I, I found out that I'm an influencer. I found out that my wife is a driver. Now I know why I love her so much. <laughs> even, though, even though there are times that she drives me crazy. that kind of driver (laughs) that kind of driver so it's it's all about aligning people with 
your purpose. So, so like when you're interviewing somebody, we always ask people, what are your personal, professional, and financial goals? And I want you to spread them out for me in one year, three years, and five years. And 99% of the people, when I ask them those questions, they go, nobody's ever asked me that before. Okay, I'm willing to do what other people don't do. That's why I'm successful. Mm -hmm. But you need to think about this because you're going to hear something when people are planning their future that far in advance. You're going to find out what they think about themselves and what they really want to do. And I know as as a potential employer, while I'm interviewing them, that if there's something that they want to do that I like, I'm going to align with them. Because I don't know if you've ever heard the term intrapreneur. I have. Yeah. I build inside of my company. I'm looking for people inside of my company who want to take something inside of my company and create their own business using the assets or the partnerships or whatever you want to call it in my company, because I know that's a way to scale and expand. And people aren't given those kinds of opportunities in general. At least I was never given that opportunity ever at any job I was at. I always kind of did it anyway. But, you know, it's it's about if your people are you're retracting people to, and in this case, we're talking about employees, something about our offer or our company attracted them. If you come into our company and you haven't bothered to go look on our website, we won't even interview you, won't even give you the tests. And we back up in front of that. You can't come into our company without sending a 30-second video that says, and we tell it, we tell them in the in the when they respond to the ad, look us up. Here's the website. Tell us what you can add. So it's not like we didn't tell them what to do. It's just, you know, it, it's so foreign to so many people to do that. They think, well, I'm I'm gonna show up and you know, my resume is gonna sell. I've been hiring people since I was 20 years old. I don't pay any attention to resumes. I have never, ever done a background check on anyone ever in my life. And for for those of you who are in high school and college, I'll give you a little secret. Nobody ever asked you what your GPA was in college or high school. Never. It really doesn't mean anything. I'm looking for people that don't complain, that are looking for an opportunity and understand that the concept of doing whatever it takes to get there. Why? It works for me. It worked for my wife and it works for the stable part of the upper level of our company. And, you know, we have a very fixed culture. You know, we we operate around our core beliefs, which are operate as a servant, financial freedom, be ethical, teamwork, and accountability. There's five of them. And if you want to disengage with any one of those five, you're in the wrong place. Doesn't make you a bad person, but you're in the wrong place. You know, this is such a great opportunity. We should probably spend around two, two and a half hours a day training with our employees. Why? Because how many times did you go to work and anybody ever really show you your job? And especially if you're a salesman, they handed you a list, they handed you a phone and said, start. What, what, what am I selling? What am I doing? How do I deal? What do I do when they tell me the price is too high? What do I do when they tell me that they got to go talk to their wife? And all of that, that there's a, you know, it's a part of my pitch for Cardone University and Grant is that it's all there and it's laid out in a course so that you train people. And we get every morning we role play these training situations all the time. Why do we do that? It's muscle memory. And for those of you who don't know this, I was also a baseball coach for four decades. And I know 
but it's discipline, muscle memory, and you got to do it every day. I also know that any skill that you acquire, after you get about 12 hours away from your last practice, it starts to degrade and you start to forget how to do that. So we do it every day. And we always go back to that. Why? Because I want to invest in my employees because I'm asking them to invest their lives. And I'm looking for people using a poker term who want to go all in. Why? Because I go all in. It's, you know, I work seven days a week. Everybody who has, has ever reached out to me, whether they're a client or not, gets my cell phone number and permission to call me any time of the day. And I'll answer the phone. Why? Because no one else will. I'm perfectly willing to do what other people won't do because that differentiates us. So, so you got to the point that you sold your video companies, and we've talked a little bit about that. So then at the point that you had actually inked the deal, got the money, and no longer worked there, what did you do? The first thing I did, and I think it tied, it's interesting because uh, you talked about setting goals and that kind of thing. I, it was hard for me to uh, set goals because for the first time, I'm sitting there, I'd say almost lost. My brother and I still owned a couple of businesses together and a little bit of real estate. So I ended up buying out sort of his share of a couple of the things we had going. He retired and ended up becoming more of an investor. And, but I wasn't the CEO anymore. So from becoming this, as being the, the CEO of a, you know, a couple hundred million dollar company um, that it more merged with another one, we were up over 400 million uh, at, at this time. But I stepped down as president of that company after the sale and was sort of lost. And so the first thing I did, because I really didn't know how to set these short-term goals other than, well, let me buy out my brother's share. But I wasn't, there was presidents of these companies already. So it was hard for me to kind of uh, go in and manage, if you will. I had some time to step back and I decided to take the summer and write a mission statement. And so I took this summer and you know, I, I came up with, you know, I wrote a, started throwing things against the wall, what was important to me. And the one thing that I really loved doing in my, uh, in my adult career was creating opportunity for others. So I, I wrote a mission statement with future generations in mind, I will help create opportunity for my family, my friends, and my community. And as they succeed, I succeed. Now, I really didn't know exactly what that meant, whether that meant a lot of employees, a lot of businesses, but I knew it meant opportunity because you know, you can go around and donate all your money if you want to, but if you give people opportunity or help them to create their own opportunity, to me is a lot more sustainable and I think it's more rewarding and, and probably more humane um, in the long run. So I've been working on that. So I ended up creating a mission statement and ultimately creating, well, what does that look like, right? So it's like, okay, it helps me to, as more of a dreamer and, a, and, and somebody who likes to envision things, I started thinking about what that meant from a personal standpoint and really what that meant from a business standpoint. So your audience is business people. So what I did is I tried to imagine what that looked like. And I pictured my backyard and all my business partners in my backyard, a few hundred people. I'm up on the microphone, handing out awards, recognizing the fastest growing companies recognizing the ones that have had success maybe in uh, selling their companies and so on. But really, my visualization is this backyard barbecue. 
this group of 100 millionaire business partners who all love each other, right? So that's the interesting thing is I look out into their eyes in my dream. I look at them and they all love each other. It's like, wow, we have a group of entrepreneurs that care about one another. And so now I'm invested into, like I said, over 40 companies. We recently had our backyard barbecue last summer, or I think it was October. And in the backyard barbecue, there was a few hundred business people or a few, few hundred of my partners, right? Co-investors and leadership in these teams and the, and the entrepreneurial teams. And I was able to make that one come true. I'm not up to 100 millionaire business partners technically yet because I'm not invested into that number of companies. But that visualization, uh, that dream is in the process of coming true. And it's a real magical feeling that you can sort of, uh, I guess, uh, picture something and then have it begin to come true. So I guess if I was uh, giving anybody some advice on what they uh, might want to think about is, even if you don't have a goal at this point, yet it's hard to get concrete. If you can just sort of imagine what it might look like and start putting those words on a dry erase board, look at my dry erase board behind me. If you can start writing those things down a little bit and put yourself around people like Tom here, who uh, is obviously you've got this vision for your employees. You've got this vision um, to help people. I think if you can talk about what you're trying to do, people will sort of come and that's what's happened with my backyard as I've begun to sort of articulate what this vision looks like to other people. Now I have people wanting to join me. Mark, uh, I want to be in the backyard and it sort of ends up being its own magnet, if you will. And uh, especially as now it's, uh, it's manifesting into something that's actually here and it's tangible. And so uh, it becomes a lot more real when you can actually see it happen. So it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. It's not just I can tell you're in real apathy about it too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I end up getting a little bit excited about the things that I, uh, you know, end up trying. It makes it easy to get up in the morning, though, doesn't it? It's such a simple equation. I'm sorry that I was in my probably late 60s before I figured that out. That why am I getting up every morning? Well, because I like what I do. I'm in the aviation tax business, and my opponent in this tax business is the state of California, and. I don't think much of the government of the state of California. So I take it as a personal uh, challenge to never make sure that people don't give them any tax money. I always win. 100% of the time I win. And it's I love it. My competitor is the state of California. I love it. That's uh, awesome. So, you know, it's a great story. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I always ask people in interviews. And you'll, you, 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 I, I presume you've probably never been asked this. When you look back over your entire work history, tell me about your single best moment and be very descriptive about that. Let the audience feel what you feel, what you felt, and tell me why it was such a great moment for you. The one that comes to mind is we had set a goal um, of getting to $100 million one year. We had gone. We got up to about uh, thirty million, and, and is this your video stores? No, this was uh, video security, the security camera businesses. Okay, we've gotten got ourselves it. up twenty-five to thirty-five million. Hovered there for a while. I coached football and baseball, and I think some of that um, allowed me to, uh, you know, maybe not be so focused on growing my businesses. 
I was growing uh, some other things that were important to me, which I guess is the prerogative of the entrepreneur. And we saw some opportunity and decided, okay, we're going to go back into growth mode again after we got up to about 30 million. And so we went from 30 to 50 to 85 to 115. Ultimately, you know, I mentioned that we grew bigger than that. But when we crossed the 100 million dollar, when we got to the 85 million dollar mark one year, we had the annual kickoff meeting where I'm uh, talking about the company goals. And and we said, when we get to 100 million, we're going to start a profit sharing, you know, like a retirement plan. And it really, because we were this scrappy video store guys, right? And there was you know, getting to 100 million was a major milestone and maybe even an unthinkable type of number. In our, in my, so we used to write a big number. Hey, we, when we get to 100 million, we'll do it. Well, we got there miraculously. You know, somehow we sold, you know, no problem, more sales won't fix. Got there one year. And I think the celebratory nature of crossing that milestone and starting the profit sharing plan that was a monumental achievement and, uh, and really, I think, caused all of us to uh, redouble our commitment. And ultimately, we, uh, we had to create a new goal of a billion dollars, the billion dollar dream, because you, know, you can't stop at 100 million. Um, no. But I think you, know, you got to celebrate the wins at some level. And so we, uh, we did celebrate and, uh, you know, through uh, you know, a company uh, gathering and so on. But it was more, you know, th- that moment only lasted for a day, but there's nothing uh, that I can think of off the top of my head that was more satisfying other than maybe uh, ultimately when we uh, merged the companies and, and, and made the sale of the company. Other than that, you know, it was, that was probably a high point. What's it like to sell a company that's doing $400 million annually? Well, the process can be highly stressful. And it wasn't, when we sold, it wasn't one of those uh, processes that, because we had sold a, one of our businesses early and it, it took probably a year to sell it. It was kind of a pain in the ass, to tell you the truth. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's like, well, the next one won't be so hard. And, you know, it was actually more difficult on ours because ours was a, a couple of, we merged together two companies that were roughly about the same size to become this $400 million company. And then simultaneously got bought by a private equity group. So there was a, it was a, you know, a, a complicated uh, transaction in that, you know, one plus one equals three uh, kind of uh, sales pitch. So we merged with a company out of New York. We're a West Coast company, both national companies, but the culture was interesting. So we, we ended up putting the culture together and get bought, got bought simultaneously, everybody taking chips off the table at that time. So the due diligence process, it was another one of those pain in the ass kind of stressful times because you're, you know, you're, you're really having to uh, show everybody all the ways that you've been doing business. And I think the stress associated with letting my competitor know, right? Because if the deal doesn't happen, I'm basically opening the kimono to somebody who's in the same industry as me and reliant on this private equity company to finish the deal and, uh, and write the check and so on. So, and there was, you know, in, in these kind of transactions, it's, uh, it ends up looking like it's going to go well and then it doesn't and back and forth. So I'd say it was highly stressful, but the closing call is what I remember. So I remember being in my brother's office uh, on the speaker phone and you had bankers around the country. The New York guys were on their uh, speaker phone, the, all the attorneys. And when they finally said, you know, Haney's, do you agree? And you went around and got everybody to sign off or verbalize. 
and they it was kind of like a it was kind of like a marriage mm-hmm. okay by the power vesting in me i now pronounce you a man and wife you may transfer the funds and it was like boom all these uh, accounts went all over from all the bank accounts and so on and so it was kind of you know it actually gave me a, a pause i looked at my brother and all we did was think about i guess our blessings if you will right all the gratitude it was a moment of gratitude uh, shared between my brother and me of like all the people, the, the people who had coached us on the little league field and high school football and like all the different lessons learned, uh, the opportunity that we got from our parents, even the people that were adversaries. It was like they were all lessons in the journey. It was like, man, let's take this moment just to be grateful that we were able to, you know, do something that a lot of people you know, work their whole life and have a hard time figuring out how to do, we sort of uh, figured it out with the help of some other people. And uh, so it was a real uh, humbling moment. And uh, Would you do it again, knowing what you know now? Well, since then, we've, uh, you know, I, I've invested and we've sold companies. And I've, even since COVID has happened, one of our companies ended up selling, um, having a really nice exit. So I would you know, I'm now more of an investor. We have operating companies. So one of my companies, some of the companies I own uh, either outright or the majority of, and I would sell those. I've, to me, everything's for sale um, at some point, but I'm all around what my business partners want to do. So most of my businesses have business partners in them. And so I really want to help them achieve what they want. So if that means they want to take chips on the, at the table, let's do it. And so for sure, I would, I think uh, I'll end up exiting most of the businesses that I'm in at some point, because most of my business partners have a goal of growing their businesses to a certain size and then maybe, you know, either cash flowing, but ultimately people are looking for their exit strategy. And most of the companies I'm invested into, that's part of the idea is that since I've had some of that experience, we can help you actually get to an exit. And so I do uh, envision helping a lot of, a lot more people exit their companies and really achieve maybe some of what I've achieved, maybe bigger, awesome. better than what I've achieved. So okay. stepping back and taking a look over your entire work experience again, tell me about your single worst moment and why. So one of my video store workers, so I, I mentioned that I recruited my video, some of my video store team to come over and um, help sell stuff. One of them became my top salesperson. And we got ourselves up to about 25, 35 million in that hovering mode. I've still got the video stores going, the 12 video stores. I'm sort of playing uh, manager from the press box, right? I'm, uh, I'm becoming this uh, executive with the upstairs office with the video stores and, the, you know, 100 plus employees. And again, I'm in my early 30s at this stage. And she came to me and she said, Mark, you know, we've, you know, the systems are breaking down and, you know, and I had put somebody in charge uh, and that person was not solving some of the process issues. And I was basically like, well, go to that person, right? I was probably pretty much trying to run my team. I'm the offensive coordinator. Go talk to the wide receivers coach. <laughs> yeah, I was playing that a little bit more of that mindset. Well, she ended up walking out one day after she gave me the warning, like, look, if it doesn't get fixed, I, you know, this is, I'm not, I can't make this a, and she was a loyal employee, right? She's trying to help me that the thing is broken and uh, purchasing is not getting the, you know, stuff wasn't getting shipped and, you know, whatever logistics problems. And uh, she quit and she went to work for a company that had recently moved into my old 
the, uh, one of the, a company had moved into my old location, right? So we, we were in Sacramento. We ended up moving to Rockland, an adjacent sort of a suburb. And somebody had moved in the video business, a hardware business, had moved into my old location. They were getting my mail and they were actually a customer of ours. Well, she went to work for them. It was basically, they opened up against us. So she took her customer list. She put them in the video security business. She ended up recruiting a big handful of what was my loyal sales force in my own mind. And they went out and competed against me. It's like, oh my Lord, she left me. She took my teammates and we went from 35 million in sales down to 25 in 12 months and lost uh, key players in the sales force. And it was a horrific feeling to know that, uh, you know, loyalty only goes so far. People want to uh, succeed in their life and they're not going to, a loyalty to an entrepreneur, there's nothing like it. And so this uh, open door policy that I I sense have created in my world and this over communicate with every employee, every single employee, we ended up getting over 300 employees at our largest point. And I had a direct relationship with every single employee. I knew their why. I knew what made them tick. I, my desk was in the middle of the sales floor, right? And uh, if, you can, if you can imagine sort of a uh, inside call center sort of look, um, and my desk was centered right in the middle. So it was one of the biggest learning experiences that you might imagine is um, don't manage from the press boxes. So what ended up becoming or beginning is uh, a, a dagger ended up being uh, something that I think was really uh, helpful in, uh, in our, you know, the next round of growth for the company. And uh, ultimately, I, I'd say she now, one of the companies I have now is the largest video security company in the nation that focuses on casinos. So we do the MGM, the Win. you name a casino, chances are we do business with them in one of my companies now. Guess who's back as one of my top salesperson? Kelly, the girl that had left. Is well, I was going to ask you if, if you could go back, would you do it the same way? But actually, she came home. She came She back. came home, but she didn't come home to me. She came home to the uh, president of that company, somebody who I invested into, who I'm business partners with. She came home to that person. And so I am a silent partner in that company. So she didn't come but home she, loyal to she knows Mark it. Amy, but she came home to somebody who's very hands-on in that company. It isn't me, but it is my my business partner Todd Flowers. And Kelly knows that you're part of the that you're the investor. Oh yeah, she knows okay. that, and we, uh, you know, I she knows I've I've told this story uh, a number of times is one of the uh, biggest uh, learning experiences of my life. That was, uh, you know, hard, lessons you learn the hard way, right? So if you could go back to the moment that she was talking to you about the problem, what would you do now? Now I would say, let's solve it. So let's get everybody in the room. Let's jump in. One of the things that she told me, she told me how to solve it. She said, um, get in the trenches, right? Come down and sit next to me. And so what I told her at the time is, okay, I'm going to come down. I'm going to sit next to you. I had promised her that I would come down and sit next to her so I could better understand the problem personally. I could Mm -hmm. get on the phone with some customers right? So the truth is in the trenches, right? All the truth about how to win in business is in the trenches. So that's the thing. And I told her I would do that. I just procrastinated and I didn't get to it in time. So, you know, she complains and uh, a month or two later, 
she's gone. I would have got in the trenches that day or the next day and proved to her that I was on her side and gone through the learning and brought the vice president of sales in on the, on the, uh, on the action. And I would have got him in the trenches with me so that we could have all learned together because instead of it's not my problem or pointing to the uh, VP of sales to, to handle his job, let's just go in and figure it out together is a, is a much better way to attack a problem. And so uh, the truth being in the trenches versus uh, in the press box is really uh, the way I would handle it today. But I guess, right. you know, the pain, I may have not learned the lesson if I wouldn't have had the pain. So I don't know that I would go back and do it differently because. Oh, I understand you completely. I understand you completely. I always tell people I've made lots of mistakes, but I would not, if I could go back and do them differently, I wouldn't do that. The reason is I like who I am now. And I don't know that I would still be who I am now if I hadn't made that mistake. It's just they're, they're they're stepping stones to keep your feet dry, Mm -hmm. walking across the wet grass. And you just said something that I'm going to steal from you. The truth is in the trenches. I like that. Thank you. As coaches, right? You're a coach. I'm a coach. We like to coach football or basketball or uh, whatever. It's like, look. I did baseball. Oh, you baseball. I coach baseball as well. So, like, these are things where, you know, you don't, you can't learn by, you can learn by watching, but you can learn a lot more by doing, by being in the game. Get on the field. Get yourself dirty. Uh, you know, and pick yourself back up and, and continue to fight. You know, it's the, the man in the arena quote, right? It's not the critic who counts, right? It's the man who's actually in the arena. Yep. Yep. I have a good friend who's really good friends with Mike Tyson, and he talks about that issue all the time. You know, I'll have more respect for you if you get in the ring with me. I'll kick your ass, but I'll respect you more because <laughs> you for got sure. in the ring with me. <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to go off on that. It's, we can have over, sometime in your backyard at a barbecue over a lemonade or something. I'll tell you, my, I'll tell you Mike Tyson stories that are just hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Sounds and, like a plan. Yeah, it, let's do it. So uh, is there anything else that if from your tower of wisdom that, you, that you're living in that you think that you maybe haven't covered in the things that you've said, thing that you want to tell to somebody who's, let's start with a kid coming out of high school. What would you su- suggest that kids, people, guys and girls in high school would do that you didn't do? Interesting question. So uh, if I, I, right now we're in my office or, you know, where there's a podcast, so anybody might be watching it on uh, on video, I'm going to change my uh, camera angle up above. You can see uh, yes, if dot, dot, dot. I have big dry erase boards all over my office, pretty good size office where I do my podcast right over there. And I have, uh, and I'm, I was a C student. So there's a sign that says uh, C students need love too. And, I, and so I guess what I would say that yes, if thing speaks to me, anything is possible if you overcome enough of the obstacles, right? So I don't care if you're a C student or an A student, you're a captain of the football team. You know, a lot of us, um, we don't know what we want to do, but we might have this sort of uh, passion or big dream or something. And I think anything is possible. And uh, if we overcome enough of the obstacles. So really what I would say is, dream big, expect to be able to do anything, and then just expect that there's going to be a series of obstacles, some you can imagine, most you cannot imagine, 
and start chipping <laughs> away at those obstacles. And if you never start, right, uh, you'll never, you know, you just got to start chipping away at some of those obstacles. It might be having a conversation with somebody like Tom, somebody like yourself. Um, it might be having a conversation with somebody like me talking about your dream. So it may be talking to another investor. I mean, but start somewhere. It's like, okay, what's the first thing I need to do? I need to start sharing my idea, right? I need to get a, a business partner. I need to vet my idea. So if you have a dream, take a step because it is possible. I remember that when I had my race car company, I was also going back to Elk Grove High School and one day a week I was teaching in their economics class. And I told the teacher, I'd love to do it, but I'll not follow your curriculum and I'll do things my way if you want me to do it. So they said, okay. What I always told all these kids in high school, now's the time for you to start your own business. Why? You have security. Your mom and dad are feeding you. You got a place to go. Try something because you're going to learn more from starting a business or getting a job and learning how to keep a job or be acknowledged at your job or move up in the lineup, whatever analogy that you want to use by doing it. While reading books is really important, live it. You know, it, you, you've got no reason to not start. It's take that first step. It's not really very scary. And for somebody who's been as alive as long as I have, I'm in my 70s, uh, you know, it, it didn't kill me. I'm still here, you know, and, and I've done a lot of wrong things and I've done a lot of scary things and I've done a lot of things that I'll never tell you about. But, you know, just, you know, enjoy life. But as long as you maintain your ethical viewpoints and don't create harm for people that don't need to have harm created for them. I mean, it's like if somebody's breaking in your house, shoot them. Why? Because you have a higher obligation to protect your family than you have to take care of a criminal. And, and, you know, and while that may not be popular to say, that's the way I live my life. So what would you say to someone who's trying to decide if he wants to go to college or not? Um, I, I think it's an individual choice. I think that especially now people are rethinking the value of a, you know, of a college degree. I would say, you know, follow your heart and I would say get a job. So the first thing I would say to anybody out there is uh, the real way to decide what you really want to be when you grow up, you might be listening to uh, your college professor. You know, ideas are going to surface. You might get that from uh, your classmates and so on. Nothing against what someone might learn in a, in a business class or in some other, uh, you know, form of education. But I find that it's interesting because as a, as a coach, right, I always used to tell my players, the coach is always looking. There's somebody always looking. There's always a scout in the crowd. And if, if you go get a job, and I'm not just saying get a job. I'm saying, saying go to work and put out every, have a full speed attitude, right? You could use this on the, on the baseball field. You could use this uh, working at Starbucks. You could work, the, if you're working at a construction company or mowing lawns, I don't care what you're doing. If you have this full speed attitude and you do something that gets yourself noticed, be so remarkable with your effort that you get yourself noticed and opportunity will come your way. People Absolutely. will find, people will find um, creativity for ideas for you. I mean, guys like me and you who employ people, 
we are looking for people who uh, have a different gear, who have a different way of thinking. We're looking for people who have uh, something unique about them that's positively unique. We, there are people that uh, spend their time looking for those people. Um, it's sort of like what we do as hobbies. And whether they come to work for me or I uh, recommend them to you, or you recommend them to me or our other people. It's like, look, man, you never know. The coaches, there's always somebody looking. And so find something. And I think a place of employment is the, it's a, or a uh, sports team, you know, something athletically. But I do think it can happen in a classroom as well. Get yourself noticed, man, or lady. Get, you, be so different that you get yourself noticed. So if you're not that excited about school, are you really going to get yourself noticed? Right. So do something that uh, you care enough about to get yourself noticed. And even if that's mowing lawns, man, lo- mowing lawns like your like it means everything to you. And guess what? You can open up your you could own your own landscaping company, right? If that's the kind of thing you like doing, if you like working outside yeah. with your hands. Yeah. And you talked about being a C student. An interesting statistic is that. <laughs> It tends to be not, I've had a daughter who was in all the top classes. I can't forget, remember what they're called, AP, like AP history and stuff like that. And she suffered tremendously if she didn't get a 5.0, okay? Oh, wow. I, I tried to tell her this, that the guys that get the top grades tend to go to college and teach. And the colleges are funded by the C students who went out in the world and did something. Mm-hmm. And that's just a fact. I mean. How many guys do you know that are high school dropouts or college dropouts? You can add up Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, all of them. It just, they came to a point where they looked at it and said, what am I learning here? What am I getting out of this? And now it's so damn expensive that you can come out of college with. It's like she wanted to go to an East Coast school and go do a doctorate program, which was seven years. It's $70,000 a year. Can you imagine when you were, she would have been, 23 when she graduated, having a half a million dollars of debt, no job and no work experience. How are you going to pay for that? It's a trap. If you're not going to college to become a brain surgeon or a nuclear physicist or to get some kind of license that you need to have to do what you want to do, I'd seriously think about doing something else. And the most important thing I think people can do is get jobs and try to be on the boss, the top, I'll use my demo here. This is a coffee cup, but I'll use the demo. This is a demo that I use for a totem pole. I have employees and every day I'm constantly evaluating them, whether they're on the top of the totem pole or the bottom. And you don't want to be down here when COVID strikes. You don't want to be down here when the economy collapses because those are the first people to go. And you have an opportunity every day to reprove yourself. Using a sports analogy, if you can't make it in game time to where I'm going to try to move you up in the lineup, I'm looking to replace you. And no matter if you're my best player, especially in a high school sport, I'm always going to be looking to replace you. And if you approach it that way, that there's a somebody looking for your job every day, and you take pride and you're going to defend yourself and you always make yourself visible to the organization that you work for or to your clients and if you have your own company, you're going to stand out so much because to me, in my lifetime, the standards of delivery or customer service or whatever you want to use have fallen so far, it should be easier. It's not harder. You, yes. The competition gets weaker every day. Why? 
because they sit in their lazy boy, they binge on Netflix, and it's all bad news, and it's all wrong data. And somebody is doing you the biggest favor in the world by treating all the other people in this country as morons and idiots and drug addicts, because that's your competition if you want to start a business. So start a business and be successful. I would agree with you that the competition is changing and maybe that it's easier to stand out in today's workforce. It's, you know, uh, I picture myself, what if I went to work for a Walmart and put everything I had into that job? I'd be the manager of Walmart. I'm pretty confident I can become the manager quickly starting at the bottom because I know how to outwork there and, and no slight on Walmart. I could say that about any uh, company yeah. where everybody sort of uh, gets like that minimum, uh, the minimum common denominator, and sort of rests there. So you figure out what that is, and just go be twice as good as that. And you yeah, Grant it. calls that being comfortable with being average. I'm going to tell anybody who's listening: when you go to work for somebody, show up early and stay late. When I was a baseball coach, and I told you when practice was. You, I expected you to be there 15 minutes early. And if you weren't, I noticed it. And if you weren't, your playing time went down. And if you, if you still continued to show up late, then you went to the bench. And if you still continued to show up late, you were off the team. It's just because why? Because that's the way real life is. There's not a place for underperformers. I know there's a lot of socialists in this country who think that everybody should be get an equal opportunity. Well, everybody does have an equal opportunity. It's the top performers who show up early, stay late, go all in and have their own interests relative to being showing up and, and the bosses liking them and their production statistics. And it's, but you, it's yeah, people, uh, people complain there's no jobs. I own a construction company. We do concrete. It's doing really well. Every, every construction company, uh, I think in the nation, is probably doing okay. But here in Northern California, they're doing really well. And, you know, we have jobs coming out, uh, you know, we can't keep up on and which is a good problem to have. We need more people, more qualified people. Well, unemployment rate has, uh, has increased. Look at all the people that are, uh, you know, the, the waiters and waitresses or whatever the, uh, you know, servers, restaurant industry, other, there's, unemployment's up to whatever, 9% here. Uh, I think I saw the other day and we have job openings, right? There's people with job openings, but people don't want to do certain kinds of work. So um, it's kind of an interesting thing. If you really want to achieve something in your life, get a job. I don't care what job it is, but don't sit back and get unemployment because, you know, if you can get a job or unemployment, get the job because that's how you create the opportunity. And then absolutely, I don't care if it's something you love doing or not. Find an aspect of any job that you like. Would I love working at Walmart? No, but I like helping people. I like helping people. You like teaching. Um, you know, uh, I like uh, electronics. You know, hey, I can't find an aspect of Walmart that is I can get passionate about. I'm sure I could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, anyway, uh, we've been at this now for about 40 minutes. And uh, if you've got time, we'll let it go a little bit longer. Well, I, you feel- I, I, uh, why don't we just go a couple more minutes and, uh, and then okay. we can wrap. Whatever's, whatever's All right. good. All right. Okay, let's do it. So the most significant thing that's happened to you in the last two years. Interesting. So I'm going to to switch it over to a little bit of personal because I have a few here on the business side. On the business side, we started something called the Sacramento Growth Factory, which is really rallying Sacramento 
entrepreneurial community together to help get capital and uh, put together entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. So I'm working on that. I mean, it's fun, but it's in its infancy. So I would say the more significant thing is we had that backyard barbecue of my vision. And before that occurred, we had somebody make an offer on our house, on my home. And uh, it was an offer that was well above what it was worth. And so my wife got it in her mind that I said, honey, everything's got a price. I don't care. I mean, my dream matters, but look, I'll build it again in another. It doesn't have to be this backyard. And we have a really badass house. I mean, it's the highest house in the Sacramento, highest. We just sold it. It was the highest recording in the Sacramento area this year. I mean, the highest in Placer County, South Placer ever. And so a really nice back a house just got sold. But long story short is uh, shorter is that we made the decision to buy 72 acres right down the street when we got this other, I'll call it fake offer a few years back, or maybe a year and a half ago, I got this offer that didn't come true. We ended up buying some land right down the street, about five minutes away, about 72 acres to build a family compound, right? So my son lives out there already. You know, I'm close with my son, the Purple Heart Marine. My daughter's the president of the Placer County Association of Realtors. I think she's She's a real badass entrepreneur in and of herself. And then I have three grandchildren and we're all building houses out there on the 72 acres. So I'm leaving my backyard. I'm, mo- I'm actually in the process of moving right now into an interim house as we develop this 72 acres into what I think is going to be the coolest family compound. So my backyard dream it now uh, is called Haneyville. It looks like a little town because it was the original winery of Placer County. It's the first one ever back pre-prohibition. And so we're building this little uh, community, if you will, right here in South Plaster in a small town called Loomis. And it's the most significant thing because I have a close family. And to me, there's nothing more important than my family. And to see that we all love each other enough and can cohabitate, have enough confidence in our relationships to be able to live on the same property and that we all want to. It's sort of like a dream that's beyond my dream now. My wife, it's really her dream along with my daughter and my son and my grandchildren, how we're going to build out this thing that will will really be part of my 100-year plan. And that's really, I'd say, the most rewarding thing that I'm working on right now in my life is we're trying to ignite an entrepreneurial revolution here in Sacramento with the Sacramento Growth Factory. I'm doing something that I think is uh, unthinkable, uh, unthinkable, right? I try to do things that maybe most people would go, nah, that seems kind of impossible. And I've put the yes, if spin to, to everything I do. Wait, this, I think it is possible. And so I'm doing that in my family. I'm doing that in my business. And How many acres of the 72 acres have you devoted to this backyard outside thing for your barbecues with your hundred millionaires? Yeah. So it's, uh, there's 40 acres is uh, what we call the old 40. We bought that about 40 or we bought that about when we got the initial offer on our house about two years ago. And then about a year ago, my daughter being in real estate found an adjacent property, 30 acres, 32 acres, something like that. So that is more like dirt bike riding and uh, that kind of stuff. The other 40 is where we're putting the, the three homes and in the middle is this town with an amphitheater, right? It actually so there it is. And so that little backyard area, you could call it 40 acres, but the, the, the inner circle of it, the amphitheater, 
where the visualization of the millionaire business partners and so on, that's probably about a half acre right in the center of this 40 acres, but adjacent to the other 30. So I would say it's a half acre town, if you will, town square, town center, surrounded by three residences. So for anybody watching this, if you don't believe that you can think things into existence, there it is. There's living proof that it can be done. And if you are an entrepreneur in Sacramento, Tom and I want you in my new backyard. So look, Tom and I will be there. And if you are one of those people that is driven, you've got the 10X mentality, you want to become one of our business partners. I mean, you need to hit us up, get in that backyard because we want to know you. I really want to help every entrepreneur in the Sacramento region to achieve their dreams. First thing you got to do. So give people your phone number. Yeah, my phone number. You know, I'll give you my, I'll give you my social media at the Mark Haney, the Mark, M-A-R-K Haney, H-A-N-E-Y, or hit me up on my website, HaneyBiz.com, H-A-N-E-Y-B-I-Z.com. Go there, reach out to me, direct message me. And that's probably the best way to, to kind of get into my circle because I've committed. I want to meet every entrepreneur in Sacramento, anybody who has uh, got a big dream. I want to help you get there, even if it's, uh, you know, uh, getting you connected to somebody, helping you to take that step. You know, if I don't know you, I can't help you. So uh, hit me up. Awesome. Awesome. And one last thing I want to tell you is when you are approaching these companies that you're going to invest in, I want you to think about getting them on the Cardone University because that will help them blow their top lineup. So yeah. it's just something that I would suggest to you to consider. And you've got, we, we can direct communicate with others. So yeah, let's take, let's take that offline and figure out maybe there's an alliance between our two organizations that could be uh, deepened. I think it'd be a great idea. So anyway, Mark, thank you for your time. Thank you for your stories. I'd really, really suggest to anybody who sees this that you reach out to Mark or you can reach out to me. My phone number is 916-691-9192. You can call me anytime. Reach out to Mark on social media. You can call me. And I've had a great time. I've known Mark now for, feels like about two years. Uh, And I think with all your social media, I feel like I know you better than I do. So it was great getting to know you better today. We've known each other for a while, but look forward to knowing you better too and uh, figuring out how we can help. Sorry to interrupt you, Tom. No, it's not an interruption. This is just a conversation. You'd be, we'd be interrupting each other if we were sitting down having a beer sitting in your backyard biting on some ribs. So it's just normal. It's the way we deal with each other. Anyway, thank you for watching. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you found it valuable. And uh, let us both know what you think of it. And if we've been any help to you, let us know that too. And reach out to any of your friends if you think our information would be valuable to them. So anyway, Mark, we'll talk later about our possible connection with Cardone U, and uh, let's do this again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success, and I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. The number 10, then xlenz.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals. 
and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode. 